Okay, we are continuing in Daniel chapter 4. This is a powerful, powerful chapter because what it shows is the conversion of a man. The conversion from a place of being an unbeliever to being a believer. In the Old Testament, it is, is <clears throat> the, the prophet Isaiah clearly gave us uh, in Isaiah 43, verses 10 through 12, the, the pattern for salvation. And what it was is that people had to recognize that the God of Israel was the one and only God, and secondly, that He is the one and only Savior. And what we have in the New Testament is the Scriptures say that we need to come to the point of confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in, in our heart that He's risen from the dead. We're going to see what happens in the conversion of a man. So let's again pick it up here in... Uh, we'll read in verse 1 and then we'll skip on down because we covered the first half of the chapter last time. But I, it, Daniel chapter 4 verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations and men of every language that live in the, all the earth. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High has done for me. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. So you see that, that uh, He is speaking, uh, he, He's beginning to, to speak to us, Nebuchadnezzar is, and then He goes in and He starts relating to us His dream. And then Daniel is, is eventually brought in to interpret that vision and that dream. And here's what he says. So we can, uh, uh, we'll skip down to verse 26 of Daniel chapter 4. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. So Daniel says to him that exactly what was prophesied in that dream that you had, and the dream says, talks about a tree, a great tree that was going to be, that, that had uh, flourished and that tree would be cut down and that tree would be reduced to a stump. And then he says that you will, you will uh, uh, spend seven periods of time away from humankind. You'll be eating grass like an ox. And there's this disorder, this mental disorder called boanthropy, where someone has, ha, uh, thinks that they're an ox, actually. And this is actually what he had. And he walked around with his head down on all fours, it says that his hair would grow like, like eagle's feathers, that his nails would grow like, like, like uh, uh, the claws on a bird. And this is exactly what happened to him. And he says, this will happen until you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Until you recognize that it is heaven that rules. This is a beautiful thing to recognize, that it is heaven that rules. And what's powerful about this is, it can release a lot of anxiety from your life. If we realize that it is heaven that rules, we can be at real peace 
with decisions, at real peace with things, because it's heaven that rules. And it says in verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, while he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And so look at where Nebuchadnezzar is. Nebuchadnezzar is praising the works that he himself has built. He spent 30 years conquering other lands, never was defeated. He won every battle as the Bible had prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar would never lose a battle. And he never did. And then he spent the next 13 years building up Babylon. It was during that 13-year period that this seven-year period took place. But here he is on the roof of his palace praising what he's done for himself. He says, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? This is what we see Nebuchadnezzar is like. He calls to himself the glory of this majesty. He calls to himself the building of this palace. Even though God had demonstrated to him through Daniel that that, that the God of Israel is indeed in charge, God had demonstrated that through Daniel being able to prophesy what the king's dream had been earlier on as we had seen in Daniel chapter 2. And then as we saw in Daniel chapter 3, how he delivered Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego from the fire, where he saw that again. But this is the same Nebuchadnezzar which we're used to seeing, where he said that I'll have your limbs torn from you, you'll be torn limb from limb, and I'll make your house into a rubbish heap. This was his constant proclamation upon people that bothered him. So full of pride and full of pride in the majesty of his kingdom. And then in verse 31 of Daniel chapter 4. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like, the, like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out so that I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the kingdom of heaven. For his works are true 
His ways are just, and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Here we see the changing of a life. What happens when God comes into a life? A man who is at the pinnacle of what a man can accomplish. He conquered every kingdom that he desired to conquer. He built the largest city ever of that time. 1.2 million uh, uh, residents in that city. 1.2 million. That's huge by present day standards. If a city was 10,000, that was considered large in those days. 10,000. He had 1.2 million in his city. He had uh, a, a city that was 15 miles square with walls built all around the city and the Euphrates River running right through the middle of the city, under the wall and right through the middle of the city. This architectural feat much grander than the city of Jerusalem, by the way, which was tiny little campus, tiny little thing about the third of the Rice University campus is that old city of Jerusalem versus 15 miles square for, for, for Babylon. He had built this. And God humbled him and He says, this humbling is going to take place until you recognize that it is heaven that rules. And so... It talks about in the third person what had happened to him, but all of a sudden it jumps back in verse 34 to the first person. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. So he says that he raised his eyes toward heaven. He had been looking down, eating grass like cattle. Cattle just stare right on down, eating grass like cattle. He raised his head. And he looked back up toward heaven and he said, it is indeed heaven that rules. He says, I raised my eyes and I blessed the Most High and I praised and I honored Him who lives forever. For His his dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Do you see what happens to a man? It goes from, look what I have built, look what I have done, look what I have accomplished, to look what God has accomplished, look what, what He has done. I praise and honor the God of heaven. Human beings have two great tendencies that keep us from the Lord. One of them is exactly this tendency, the tendency toward pride, that keeps us exalting ourselves and keeps us from exalting God. There's another tendency of extreme low self-esteem where we think that we are nothing and even God couldn't redeem us or do much with me. And that keeps us from ever walking in anything powerful for the Lord. Because this is the Scriptures say that without faith it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. We must believe that God is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him, in Hebrews 11.6. We must believe that God is the rewarder of those who seek Him. So you see, He takes those of us who are wallowing in this despair of who am I? Maybe I should just take my own life. And He lifts us up to realize that in Him we can accomplish great things. And then He takes others 
who are basking in their pride and He humbles them. And Christian life is this. Christian life is the knife edge of these two extremes. What happens as believers, we go through these two extremes. As one moment, we can be feeling as if, who am I? This low self-esteem, why don't I just end my life? What good is it? And not believing indeed what God has said, that if we believe on Him, He's going to do great things through us. That's the one extreme. And the other side of this knife edge is this pride. Look what I have accomplished. I'm pretty good. I'm better than others. And you would think, you would think that it would be one or the other, but not both. But Christian life is actually both of those. And He's trying to balance us. And as soon as we start feeling prideful, we end up, as the Scriptures say, pride goes before a fall. As soon as pride starts slipping in, God in His mercy allows us to fall to see that we're not quite what we think we are. And when this ultimate low self-esteem starts coming in, He starts to pick us up and to reassure us of His grace in Him. And we walk on this knife edge. And I know what it is to walk in this. I cry out on my knees before God, Lord, fill me for the message. Lord, help me to speak Your Word. And then after I've spoken the Word and I know that God is anointed and seen what God has done, I can walk away from that and think, oh, did pretty well today. The same person. One minute walking in pride, a minute before that walking in despair. This is what Christian life is and He's trying to keep us balanced. And you see this in the life of the disciples as well. One moment they were walking in pride and then He reproved them. The next morning, moment He was encouraging them in Him. This is what Christian life is. But to the unbeliever, to those among us who have not yet received the love of God, not yet accepted Jesus in their hearts, there is no breakthrough. There is no breakthrough in this. Either you're walking in pride or you're walking in low self-esteem and there is no real breakthrough in either of them. Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, you'd think, wow, look at all that he accomplished. Certainly he could get to God by himself. No, it took a breaking of his heart. And seven years of eating grass like an animal, banished from his kingdom, and this is referenced. We went through some of this last time. This is referenced in other writings that have been found around Babylon. It goes through that he was depraved for a while, or that he went through a great depression, or that he, he was... He carried out no duties for seven years. Makes reference to this. This is a true documented account beyond that which is merely documented in the Scriptures. Without faith in Jesus Christ, there is no breakthrough. Now look at the change in this man. He went from talking about the pride of his kingdom, the pride of what was going on in himself, And then he starts talking about, in verse 34, after he had raised his eyes toward heaven, it says, he blessed the Most High and he honored Him who lives forever. All of a sudden, praise could start coming out of his mouth toward God. You take the unbeliever. How often does the unbeliever give praise to God? Very rare. It generally doesn't happen. Those who do not know God do not praise God. 
Then he says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So he acknowledges his, God's kingdom is going to last forever. My kingdom is doomed. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are as nothing compared to God. This is a dramatic change in this man's life. He went from thinking that he was the ultimate, he was everything, he was this large tree that was feeding all the earth, to saying, I'm accounted as nothing. This is what happens when you get saved. God comes into a life and He teaches us that we are very small and He is very great. He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, Nebuchadnezzar writes. God is in control. He does it. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Let me tell you, unbelievers, to those here who have never received Jesus in their hearts, your life will never experience a breakthrough in God. Never! Without your bowing your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, come into my heart because I am a sinner. Lord, come into my heart because I am a sinner. And he says, at that moment, at that time, in, in, uh, uh, he, he says, at that time, my reason returned to me. So it, it, it was in that instant that his, his, his reason returned to him. It was in that time that his, his reason returned to him. In that experience, that's when it returned. In verse 36, at that time, my reason returned to me. My majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So the word had gotten out that Nebuchadnezzar has changed. His mind has returned to him. His reason has returned, and the nobles came. Where is he? I mean, we need this guy. He was such a good soldier, such a good administrator. Let's get him back here. They were unable to run this city properly without him. And so I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. God actually granted him greater greatness than what he had formerly had. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the, kingdom, the King of Heaven. For all his works are true, his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. So, if you're thinking you're pretty good... You don't know the Lord and you're, you're pretty well fine. You can handle your life. When you fall, when you lose the things that you think are easy to take hold of, when you lose that, just remember, He is in charge. He is bringing you to a point where you will fall before Him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. You look at the way Nebuchadnezzar, his whole language has changed. Here is the man who would tear people limb from limb, who would threaten people all the time, throw them into the, a fire. It said that, that, that it described his face, his expressions would just change in anger. Uncontrollable anger. Fits of anger. And here he is praising God. He prays and exalts and honors the kingdom of heaven. For all his works are true, his ways are just, and he's able to humble those who walk in pride. Here he's able to confess his own sin of pride. Unbelievers don't generally confess their sins. They don't generally do it. Unbelievers don't generally confess their sins. Certainly not the sin of pride. Because without the mirror of God, it's very hard to see pride. 
Everybody else sees it because pride is written on our foreheads. But we don't see it. But God is the one who reveals it. And then look up, back up at, at, at the beginning of that chapter. You see, before he starts recounting this event that took place, he's speaking like the words of a believer. He says, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the people's nations and men of every language that live in the, in the earth. This is in verse 1. May your peace abound. Look how he writes. May your peace abound. Remember, before he was saying, I'm in charge here. And whoever doesn't bow down is going to be thrown into a lake of fire. And all of a sudden, may your peace abound. This is what happens to a life. This is what happens to a life that's saved. All of a sudden, their expressions, their words start to change. Their language starts to change. May your peace abound. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. He's giving his testimony. This is the man's testimony. It seemed good to me to declare, declare this. He says, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. His whole vocabulary changed. I have seen this with my own eyes. I saw this sort of transformation happen in my own life. In 1977, the Word of God was preached to me. And I was all alone in my dormitory room. A few months after that, after meeting many believers, many Christians, and seeing that their lives were different than my life, it seemed like they had a peace. Their relationships with each other were different than the relationships in the world that I knew. I would sit with them. I, I, I started meeting these Christians and they would... They would uh, invite me to sit with them in the cafeteria and eat with them. And I remembered just seeing them interact with each other. I thought, wow, this is different. This is not what I knew. What I knew is that if you were at a table where people were laughing, generally somebody was hurting at that same table. They were laughing at somebody. But these believers weren't laughing at anybody. They were just enjoying each other. They were building up each other. They weren't putting anybody down at, at, at this table. That really spoke to me. Jesus said, they are going to know you by the fruits that you bear. And I saw there was a difference in their lives. They weren't perfect, but they were different. My roommate, one who, who in my second year, later was, was the young man who had shared with me, Jesus, he became my roommate my second year, and he was a gracious man, kind, always asking me, can I get you anything? I mean, gracious. I saw the love of God in his life. And so when I was all alone in my room on November 7th, 1977, when I gave my life to Jesus and I said, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And that day he moved in. And I remember he came in the room and I couldn't see him, but his presence was there. And I was weeping as I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. It was as if his presence was there. And I didn't tell anybody because I didn't know how to tell anybody. And two weeks later, the young man who had shared with me asked me if I had received the Lord. And I said, I think so. Why do you ask? He says, because you haven't stopped smiling for two weeks. Something changed in my life that day. I had had many thoughts of suicide prior to that. Many thoughts of suicide. I had never attempted it. But I understand teen suicide tendencies. I had it. I came from a functional home. I had a mother and a father. 
Now, it was a little bit chaotic, but it was still a functional home. And still I had this, 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 this uh, lots of things happening in my life and swirling around in my mind. People I hated and things that just... And God just started to bring a peace. When He came into my life, a peace was brought to me. A change occurred. This is what you see in this man. And I have seen so many testimonies of people that change. I met young one man in prison ministry. He wasn't a prisoner. He was in, in prison ministry. And this man had played for the, the, uh, uh, the New England Patriots, actually, before the New England Patriots got really good, before the, the Tom Brady days. This was a long time ago. So he had played for them about 30 years ago. And I remember seeing him in prison ministry. Big man. He's probably like six foot six. A big black man. And uh, um, he was talking about how bitter and angry he used to be. And everything was everybody else's fault. Any little thing happened in his life. It was everybody else's fault. If that guy hadn't have done that. If that guy had... And one day people around him got sick of him. It's hard to deal with because he was such a big man. So what they did is they poured... Uh, uh, drain cleaner into his drink. And uh, drain cleaner is sodium hydroxide. And boy, that will tear up your stomach and it'll kill you. And he drank that drink and before he realized it, because it happens very quickly when you get that base into your stomach, very quickly. And it, it burned right down his throat, right into his stomach. And he almost never, he almost never lived after that. And God got a hold of his heart. God really humbled him through that event. God got a hold of his heart. And this man just spoke graciousness. Graciousness. I remember going to him that, that, that um, there was this experience that had happened in, in, in one of the members of my family. And we just going and praying together and seeing this man. His whole behavior had changed when he came to Jesus. When he allowed Jesus to come into his life, everything was different. I have seen the change again and again. I've seen young people come to the Lord and within a few weeks, they're just changing. And I tell them, look, you come to the Lord. If you don't like it, you can go right back into the world. Don't worry. It won't cost you anything. Go right back into the world. And they accept the Lord. And there's no turning back. They never want to go back to that. They never want to go back to that sense of not knowing the Lord. They never want to go back to that. And let me speak specifically to our, to our, uh, um, our, our, our Chinese uh, um, guests in this class. I really appreciate your coming. I really do. I love the Chinese people. The United States has been deeply blessed through the Chinese people. Deeply. I was in college when the first visiting scholars started to come to the United States. It was after, after uh, President Nixon had, had uh, 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 visited China and the barriers started to break down. Visiting scholars were, started to come and they were, they were men generally in around 40 years old. They weren't young people. They were about 40 years old, early 40s. And they had their, their little blue coats and their little blue caps like Chairman Mao. And they, they, uh, uh, and they worked very hard. Their English wasn't very good at all, but boy, did they try. And they started taking classes with us. And then a couple of years later, I remember when the first young people started coming. The first graduate students started coming. 
And, and uh, I remember those graduate students. Now, those visiting scholars went back, but the young graduate students started to stay in the United States. And I remember the first gra- group of graduate students that I had met, that, that it was my first year of graduate school. It was their first year of graduate school, and they were coming to study. And they are now professors in the United States. And I published papers with them as a professor. I've, we've gotten together and we've published papers together. So I've seen this. And what's happened is, this amazing talent has come into the United States. We have taken, the United States has taken far more from China than China will ever be able to take from the United States. We've taken 35 years of their best brains. Only the top, top people get to high school, the top people get to college, and only the top of those get to come here for graduate school. So we got the top of the top for 35 years. We've gotten those. And they've come and they've stayed, they've become professors, they've moved into our high-tech communities, and they have blessed this country so much. I love the Chinese people. If you look at my publications, it's like all these Chinese names plus tour. I mean, it's all Chinese. All my patents, it's all these Chinese names plus tour. It's like, what's this guy doing here? He doesn't even belong. It's, It's all Chinese work. And that's what it is. It's all Chinese work. And then they graciously add my name to the paper. I love the Chinese people. I want to see you come to the Lord. And I know, because I've worked for so many years with Chinese people, Chinese people don't respond to altar calls. They don't come up to altar calls. But the way that you respond is you respond one-on-one. When I sit with you, and when I explain to you the Gospel, when I explain to you how Jesus Christ has died for your sins, how He's given His life for you. How He has died in your place. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. And come into my life. I've seen so many Chinese young people come to the Lord. Just through a simple one-on-one presentation. That's how you come. You don't come in mass. You come one-on-one. But God has so prepared your hearts. So prepared your hearts. So that now, after 35 or 37 years of coming to this country, now if you go to any one of our universities, you will see if it's any technical university, if it has any technical program, half the students there are first or second generation Chinese. And that if you go to any one of the Christian groups on campus, you will see that they are a third to a half first or second generation Chinese. Many, many of them have become leaders on our campuses in technology, but also in faith. Leaders in faith. God has so prepared your hearts that you are the most open people that I know. I would rather share the gospel with a Chinese person than with anybody else. Because your hearts are so open. God has prepared your hearts to receive the message of the gospel like no other people group that I know personally. What God has done in the hearts of the Chinese people. This is what happens in the life of a man. Nebuchadnezzar was at the very top of his game. And God humbled him until he recognized that heaven rules. Until he recognized that. Chinese young people's Young people, their hearts open like nobody else. 
Once they're older, it is much harder. Much harder to see an older Chinese person come to the Lord. When your hearts are young and impressionable, you respond to this. Don't let the days go by. Don't let it go by. Don't say, well, you know, I'm kind of on my way to becoming a Christian. Don't be on your way anymore. Become a believer. Then be on your way to growth as a believer. Alright? And once you become a believer, don't wait five years for baptism. Talk to Pastor Tao over here. He get you baptized. Walk in obedience and be baptized. And begin to see your faith and your life in Christ grow. It will lift you up from despair. It will humble you from pride and you'll walk a Christian life and you will be different. From that day, you will be different. Sure, you will have all sorts of struggles still in your life, but there will be an overcoming of those struggles year by year. So, what I offer to you is this. If you are Chinese, if you are responding to this message, after this class, after we take the Lord's Supper, you just wait. Wait for me. If you want to talk, I will sit with you for as long as you need. And I want to tell you the gospel. I want to give you one-on-one the gospel message. And I want to see, and I will see your eyes open up. And you will begin to respond. Because God has so prepared your heart. And you will be different. You will be different. This is a step You must take without receiving Jesus in your heart. You can't assimilate any of these things into your life. These things that I'm talking about to you may sound like nice things, but you can't have them without the power of God in your life. It starts through salvation. It starts through an act of salvation. Where we come to realize, God, what you have done in my life. Don't delay. The older you get, the harder it gets. You think it's going to be easier? No, it gets harder as you get older. Go ahead, run a marathon. It gets harder as you get older. Coming to the Lord gets harder as you get older. So every week you wait, every month, every year you wait, it gets harder. And you are less likely to come to the Lord. And your heart will become more and more hard and more and more bitter. And you'll lose more and more in your life. You'll lose your family. You'll lose your kids. You'll lose your relationships. Don't let that happen. Come to the Lord while you're young. Come to the Lord and let that youth, that time of youth, start having a pattern in your life where you start getting things right rather than blowing it in your life. Come to the Lord. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of a changed life in Nebuchadnezzar. We can see how that man changed once he realized that heaven rules. Thank You, Lord God. Father, I pray for these young people here today, particularly, Lord, the Chinese in our midst. Father, I pray that You would so draw them to Jesus that You would so open up their hearts and draw them to Jesus. Your grace be there. Your grace abound. Father, I pray that as You have spoken to the hearts this day, Lord, I pray that many would get saved. That many would get saved. 
in the name of Jesus. Draw them to your Son. For the glory of God, I pray. Father, draw them. And Lord, for these other young people that are here, draw them close to Jesus. May their hearts be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. May we see many come to you. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.